0: Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. First, the overture. welcome back to another episode of debatable with your hosts nina and kyle i'm nina i'm kyle and it's the 5th of november which makes us have to ask why is it so important in the first place
1: well the poem says that we should remember the 5th of november but what 5th of november are we talking about here it's actually the 5th of november in 1605 because at that time a group of radical Catholic dissidents tried to assassinate King James I. He wasn't just King James I. He was also called King James VI because he was King James I in England and King James VI in Scotland. But the reason why he's called King James I and VI is because at the time of the assassination attempt or the gunpowder plot, he wanted to unite... England and Scotland into a single kingdom, which we ended up calling the Great Britain. So anyway, that failed because Mm-mm. the the lighter person who was supposed to set off the explosion under the Palace of Westminster was caught and he the guy was named Guy Fawkes and then he was executed. So for the longest time, for 400 centuries... It was actually the state that made people remember the 5th of November, and that's because it was the very, very early British state, but according to the government, even when they were just a young state, they were already super-duper powerful enough to catch every assassination attempt. So it was part of propaganda, but it was eventually reclaimed, co-opted by by anarchists.
0: So it was really about revolution in general and not anarchy.
1: Yeah, actually, it was more about religion, actually, because, Mm. well, King James's uh, mother was Queen Mary of Scots, who was a Catholic. Uh, If you remember, during that time, the monarchy was increasingly Protestant. So when people found out, especially the Catholics, when they found out that King James's mother was a Catholic they were very hopeful that he would end the persecution of Catholics, but he didn't. So that's the reason why they were super mad about it. And that only contributed to a bunch of people wanting to have him dead or assassinated.
0: Mm. So Guy Fox was used by the government to sort of show that, you know, if you try, you're going to end like him, who failed, who basically made everything crumble, you're never going to succeed. When did that change? How did the co-opting happen?
1: Well, what happened was the state said, okay, 5th of November, let's commemorate the failed plot and the execution of Guy Fawkes. So what they did was every single year, they get an effigy or like a stake and then they burn the image of Guy Fawkes there. So actually, whenever you have these Guy Fawkes masks, you know, the anonymous masks or whatever, actually before, the British state wanted to monopolize the portrayals of Guy Fawkes. But over time, it became more and more secular because what happened in the first few years was that there were more and more sympathizers of Guy Fawkes and then they rioted during the 5th of November so they changed it. They turned it into Bonfire Night. But then more mm. and more people were going like... Instead of burning Guy Fawkes, they got images of um, what people perceived to be authoritarian leaders like Margaret Thatcher or George W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, those kinds of people. And they were the ones being burnt in the bonfire. So it was a slow but sure cooptation of of the image of Guy Fawkes and the gunpowder plot by people who are just against overreach of state power. But more than that, Guy Fawkes and even his name, like his image and his name, they're both symbols that became part of the collective consciousness to the effect that the state could not control the meaning of those symbols. So, you know about Guy Fawkes masks... Right, like they're the symbol for anonymous.
0: They're also the V for vendetta. And also V for vendetta. If you're, if you're not aware of anonymous, you know.
1: Yeah. So, you have that, which meant that in in V for vendetta, at least, what happened was everyone who wore that mask had anonymity, and everyone who wore that mask represented an idea that the government could not pin down. So. Behind the mask, everyone's identity is hidden, and that's the same thing for Guy Fox, like the name, because before Guy Fox used to uh, define this particular person, Guy Fox, but actually he he let go of his name. He went by the name of Guido, so what actually happened was... Guy, the, the reason why we use the word guy in any other context, like, hey guys, respecting a man, guys, that's directly because of Guy Fox. Um after he was executed, his name became part of the dictionary, <laughs> became part of mm. English conversations. But at first it had negative connotations. In um in Europe it had negative connotations there. But as it was imported into the Americas, it lost that negative connotation connotation at first it was like bad guys but now literally anyone could be a guy like even things could be guys
0: yeah so now if you're not aware of what guy was before and why it became part of our dictionary there you go so how did this lead to anarchy though so we have a symbol but how did the anarchist movement or anarchy in general become attached to this symbol in particular
1: Well, the first reason why it got attached to anarchy is the gunpowder plot was against the state, an early British state that responded to the plot by becoming more authoritarian. So Mm. it's basically like a rallying cry where the more they try to silence dissent, the more legitimate that dissent becomes. So a lot of people took that and then brought it to its logical conclusion where it's, they were saying that all states have this tendency, have this potential to be authoritarian, stifle individual liberties. So let's just be against all states, like the concept of statehood, the concept of authority in general. The second reason is that you have these symbols that the state can't crack down on, that authorities cannot define. That changes. So it it symbolizes something, but it doesn't symbolize the same thing twice, ever. It's always changing. And it is a way for the anarchists, so they took it because it's a way for the anarchists to disrupt what they call the state's representational order. Because you have what they call free-floating signifiers that makes it impossible for the state to outrun the evolution of the use of those symbols. So, which is why it it's also incredibly easy to hijack, by the way. I'm so, uh, being fair and balanced here. But mm. it is incredibly easy to hijack, but it is very easy to reclaim it as well.
0: Yeah, that's why you have issues with fake anonymous groups. I mean, anonymous, the group, and then there are fake members that try to claim to represent them, and then we're never sure, especially with all the fake Twitter accounts, because anonymity is a tool that can be used by anyone and is used by everyone, which I guess leads me to my concern with anarchy. But before that, you know, more importantly, what really is anarchy? I think we've been talking about anarchy Yeah, you're right. Yeah, sort of a uh it's also become a floating signifier but we haven't really defined it for our listeners
1: yeah so anarchy i like to think of it as more of a mode of organization that does not rely on authority so the term anarchy doesn't mean no order doesn't mean chaos right it came from greek roots which basically mean no authority. So we're not against order. We're anarchists are not against order. They're against mm. authorities.
0: <laughs> so... Had a slip there, mm-hmm. <laughs> revealing your political alignments. I see. Uh-huh. Okay, for the purposes of this episode, uh, Kyle will be an anarchist. But just for this episode, it's not um, an ind- uh, indicator of our actual political views. Yeah. We are just hypothetically having discussions of the pros and cons of these outlooks. So a big disclaimer, if you are a government official listening to our episode trying to find reasons to put us in jail, we are just doing a exercise in discourse and do not want to spark any sort of dissidence in our listeners. Alright, so now we have a definition of anarchy and anarchy even if that's its Greek roots. When we studied political science, for example, anarchy has always been phrased as the state of nature. Chaos, Hobbes' um, definition of it. So my understanding of anarchy has always been negative in its connotation. And I guess that's inherently because I am in a course, or was in a course, that needed to talk about order. My entire five years in UP were dedicated to the discussion of order and authority and governance. So obviously my point of view here is leaning towards or leaning against anarchy as a whole. Cause in my opinion, and Kyle and I have discussed this off screen, it's impossible to have an anarchy that doesn't fall into the hands of selfish people that take advantage of others. Yeah. So, so on a personal level How does that work? Okay, so the first thing
1: that, you know, Bakunin and Kropotkin would say is actually people like Thomas Hobbes, they come from it at a completely different angle. Um, The idea that people are just inherently selfish and that the state of nature is always a state of war is something that was already disputed by a lot of anarchist thinkers because they were saying that, in as much as selfish self preservation is a part of human nature, equally, the tendency towards mutual aid, cooperation, those types of things are also integral parts of human nature. So, we created this state that sort of assumed that people are selfish, bad people. Therefore, we must use our authority to restrain those feelings. It created a system where people understood that they had to act selfishly because otherwise, why would there be an authority figure telling you not to act selfishly? Do you feel?
0: So you think it's a chicken and egg problem.
1: Yeah, it's more like a it's like a self fulfilling prophecy, right? But there have been a lot of experiments and also examples of anarchist systems or Systems that approximate anarchy, but they nevertheless created orderly systems. So you don't really need an authority figure to have order. So, like if you have a group of friends, you don't elect a leader from your group of friends, but there are some unwritten rules that you should treat everyone decently, etc. So, there's this theory called the theory of spontaneous order where it assumes that given a common need, there will be a collection of trial and error um, and improvisation that evolves order out of the situation even in the absence of authority figures and the order that you create there it's going to be more durable than the one imposed by authority because under a spontaneous order everyone actively consents or volunteers to be part of that order so there are lots of examples for this um the first I think we can look at is an experiment where I think it was the the Pioneer Health Center in Peckham, London. They had an experiment where they created basically a social club. Basically like
0: redacted
1: or whatever. Like you need mm-hmm. to buy into it first um, and then you enter. As I'm a... going
0: to bleep out my address oh, sorry. by the way.
1: <laughs> it's like one of those places where you buy into it so you could use the amenities Except in this instance, members join as families and then they could do whatever they wanted with the facilities. And there was a moderator for the experiment, but the only thing that the moderator had the power to do was to prevent people from exerting or dictating based on authority. So, in effect, the only thing that wasn't allowed was to use and exert authority on other people. So what happened was, for the first few months... There was like absolute chaos because you had all these children who were just willy-nilly using the facilities, but months later, um they organized themselves on their own accord to, you know, have like these detailed but unwritten rules of how to use certain facilities at certain times. So the researchers concluded that a society, if left on its own, um and it's allowed to express itself in um, suitable circumstances it creates its own kind of order and there's another experiment in in Spain I think where they got a bunch of delinquent children um, and they put them into a simulated community that they called a little commonwealth and the same story happened there there was absolute chaos like there was legitimately like one kid who jumped out of a window and there were injuries and bruises and stuff But he kept running. And the researchers really, really wanted to stop the experiment at that point. Um, But after a while, they calmed down. The children calmed down. Um, These delinquent children, not only did they come to create these unwritten rules of order, but they also strongly appreciated the people working with them.
0: Alright, so those examples make sense. But... My issue with it would be probably the costs and birthing pains, as you mentioned. Like there are obviously birthing pains there. It's just a matter of are they worth it? And it seems that injuring children in the process doesn't seem really worth it, which makes me question if we bring this to a large scale, like government governments and countries and actual worlds, why would that be any better?
1: You know. Well, I would disagree. I would agree with you that maybe in some instances the birthing pains would not seem to be worth it but you also have to consider that a lot of these birthing pains like the injured children that you were talking about and they were a result of the methodology that they were in but in other instances and this is not an experiment anymore but like an actual historical event you have things like the Woodstock Festival where if it was made to be permanent some people said that It could have become a city, but organized under completely different principles from the rest of the country, which relied on principles of authority and stuff like that. Or Mm -hmm. during the Second World War in Europe, in 1946, you had thousands, like tens of thousands of homeless people who occupied army shelters in England and Wales in order to support the troops like to make army camps feel more homely by doing communal services like communal cooking, nursery, laundry, whatever. So in other instances, you don't have that much birthing pains, actually. It all depends on the circumstances that led to the group coming together. So if there was a common need in the experiments that I was talking about, there wasn't a clear common need for the families or the children to come together. But even without that common need, they still created that common need, which is, let's reduce the chaos here. So every society, with or without leaders, they're always interested in reducing the negative effects of chaos by creating order. So even if they don't have leaders it is completely possible to expect people to do certain things. And it's reliable. Most of the time, it's reliable. There will probably be some individuals who are selfish, but you can also expect that in any other situation, right? But at least in more anarchic systems of organization, the rest of the people there, when they learn or accept these like unwritten rules of order or they might be written it's just that there is no authority to like tell them these are the absolute um things that we will enforce because everyone actively volunteers to be part of that society it's much less likely that you're gonna have those really really selfish lex Luthor type people who will try to actively manipulate people to be better off as an individual
0: But I think that idea of having no authority, however, doesn't really deal with the people who you claim to be selfish. Because the Lex Luthors will still exist, it's just even going to be harder, in my opinion, because you don't have the active resources to deal with people like that. If anything, you're going to promote people taking authority into their own hands by being vigilantes and murdering each other, for example, So, even if there are written or unwritten rules, if no one can enforce it, what's stopping them from descending into the state where, you know, anything goes? And to protect yourself, you must do what you must. Well,
1: okay, I would answer you with this. There is also, similarly, not a strong way to expect or enforce international law for example like there are totally expectations that people will comply with their international obligations in good faith and we do know and I-, I learned this from you that the international community as it exists right now is an anarchic system Yep. but a lot of people still say I think it was Demato who wrote this but he said that international law is still law because it's just it just so happens that its enforcement mechanisms are different. the enforcement mechanisms under international law and other anarchic um systems isn't so much like police like a threatened deprivation of liberties, but more so the idea that other people within that community might not be willing to engage with you on. Valuable levels or like invaluable interactions, if you do not abide by these rules. So it's the same reason why, even the United States, for example, they're notorious for. They're just as notorious for, like, not signing into crucial, um, treaties. Right, that they're not even, um, they they're not even parties to the UN clause, but they still follow the principles enshrined in the UN clause because if they don't they know that more and more states would be less likely to be willing to treat with them and that's the same thing with that's the same thing with other anarchic systems where if you're just like a straight up douchebag no one would want to interact with you and you need those interactions because in those societies you can only get by with mutual cooperation or mutual aid
0: so I disagree there because even if I told you that the international community is anarchic, it doesn't mean I agree it was a good thing because I don't think international relations is working. I don't think that it's effective. I think that the only reason it holds up is because of the authorities of the individual nations that like stop them from violating things because there are going to be consequences in their home countries and in their own areas. So, for example, a lot of wars happen because of authority, yes, but I feel even in the absence of authority, those things would still come about and would happen worse off if there are no consequences that they can see in the long term because they aren't written down or aren't abide by because there are no real systems to enforce those things, if ever, right? So, in my mind, still... As much as I agree with you in principle that this current system isn't working, I don't think switching to anarchy would make it any better. If anything, I think it just exacerbates existing issues we have now and makes it harder to escape from those things. Why is it impossible, for example, to just reform um, authority to be better instead of leaving people to their own devices?
1: Okay, I have two issues with what you said. The first yeah. issue that I have with what you said is the idea that you have all these problems and they could have been solved with more authority in the international community. But actually, I would say that it's the, the the opposite is true. Like, you have all these problems that the UN Security Council. Could fix hypothetically, but because they're in positions of authority that they have their own interests, they actively veto things that might be good for the rest of the world right um but at the same time, even if there are like really selfish states, the reason why they're still able to do that is because they probably have an in with some really influential, really authoritative members of the international community so you have members of the unse who are supporting more rowdy players in the international community like some countries in the middle east for example you have saudi arabia which is which has done a lot of human rights violations but they keep doing it because they're associated with an authority figure in the form of the United States. So that's the
0: So wait, before you proceed, do you think the international sy- system is anarchic or not because you seem to be contradicting yourself?
1: No, I'm saying that it tries to be anarchic, but a lot of people um a lot of states try to make it um authority based because Precisely because of the thinking that if they do not grasp authority, there would be more chaos. But actually, the opposite is true. The reason why there but is chaos... But we've never
0: tried it. But we've never tried it. How can you be so sure? You're willing to throw everything out and just be like, let's start from scratch. Everything should be chaotic for now and eventually it'll sort itself out. Is that the conclusion? No, I'm, ta- I'm
1: saying that it's more chaotic precisely because people are trying to get authority.
0: But people will still try to get authority, even if you switch to anarchy. No, the, the entire
1: point of like the past twenty minutes was me trying to explain. Thirty, that, was me trying to explain that in an anarchist system where there is a common goal, even if there might be chaos at first, as soon as we get this common need or we realize that there is a common need, for example, for order, that would spontaneously appear through like mutual cooperation and just like the willingness of everyone to buy into this anarchic but uh, system that's based on mutual help and mutual aid
0: so okay so i think i think i skipped a, a few steps before rebutting you because the first thing you have to prove now to me is the tendency for people to be altruistic and why is there a tendency for people to be altruistic
1: i think it's not so much as altruistic because the idea of altruism is people are going to give up things in exchange for nothing. But in regular society, you do have an incentive to be a good person to other people. Not because you're not expecting something in return, but because if people think or believe that you are a good person, they're more likely to interact with you in valuable ways that would benefit you as an individual as well. So even if there is no authority figure, you still have the incentive to be a good all-around person, like, be good to your neighbor, be cooperative, etc.
0: Alright, that's fair.
1: Yeah, but, like, I agree with you. People can be selfish. But at the same time, people can
0: be, like, cooperative. So, so it's just a matter of who outweighs the other and how many are going to be the nice people versus the not-so-nice people. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tricky part. Yeah, but my I argument
1: feel. here would actually be that systems based on authority directly contribute to people being more selfish. Um, and mm-hmm. the, the second issue that I had with your, with your response to me, um, if I'm not mistaken, you were saying that why can't we just reform how power is used?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and this is where Kropotkin says that if the state was used to entrench like privileges or like a certain um elite then the state cannot be used to destroy these same privileges and to me reading that i have several like interpretations of that but the first one was in a practical sense you can see every you can see this everywhere um why we can't reform blank like we can't reform the police for example because we need to reform um, the way the police works but the way that the police works is in entrenched because of unions within the police force so we're gonna have to do that uh, we're gonna have to reform that as well so basically what i'm trying to say is it's almost impossible to um reform a lot of these systems because meaningfully because that thing that you want to reform is reinforced by everything else within this really bad system so
0: i don't like that quote because it can be flipped on its head and reversed and just said you know using people to reform problems brought about by people is just gonna cause the same problems right it's it's the same i think that quote only works if you're already operating under the assumption that the state is the cause of all harm
1: yeah but like there is some nuance to it there's a reason why he he didn't say if people did this, then we can't use people to change it. There's a reason why he specifically said it was the state. And the reason why is because like, you if you want to reform gun control, for example, gun laws, you can't reform that without limiting, for example, the power of the NRA in the creation of policies. But you can't reform the NRA or limit the power of the NRA without changing how politicians are elected without changing how politicians get to create their policies and you can't do that without either changing how congress works or without changing how corporations work and a good way to do that is to either amend the constitution or get rid of it or create new laws but the problem there is how can you create new laws to reform any of that if it's going to be blocked
0: by the nra so get rid of the constitution is what you're saying, and somehow it'll be fixed. The thing about anarchy is it's
1: not trying to supplant this old order with a new order. In fact, a lot of is, though, a lot of these a lot of these lot writers of are saying that a lot of formal definitions
0: of anarchy use violence as a means to get to a state where there is no state. So you cannot just say that it's not inherent to anarchy if. One, a lot of definitions use it. And two, to get to that point, there will be inevitable consequences through the use of violence, through the use of burning pains, and through, I don't know, things that you might be opposed to.
1: The problem here is, I think if the definition says that anarchy is inherently violent, then it's a wrong definition. I would say, actually, that the main goal of anarchy is, again, what I'm saying is, not necessarily to supplant a, a not necessarily to supplant an old order but it's more of there are already seeds within this order that might grow into a better system of organization and we just have to extend those seeds by consequently minimizing the effect of the things that restrict it like
0: authority isn't that a form of reforming though To reduce certain restrictions is also a reformation. You're assuming reformation only means adding more laws, but it could be removing laws that don't work as well, which aligns with your view then.
1: No. Again, there's nuance here because it's not a simple matter of creating laws or not creating laws or removing laws because either way, those laws will have to be enforced by the state. And the state, in order to enforce things, will inevitably have to use rights that people gave up to the state. Um, so what I was saying was, um, it's first of all, it's not reform because it's not as simple as creating or reducing something, but more of even within this authoritarian system that we live in, there are some pockets where people organize within themselves and create spontaneous order. Why don't we just expand the reach of that? You know, why don't we just expand the reach of that using the principles of like mutual aid, cooperation? And by doing so, we may be able to reduce the relevance of authority in general. But if there are situations where authority figures are actively trying to prevent that that's the point in time when violence may be used but i am i will go on the record i i do not like celebrate or i do not condone i do not encourage any form of violence mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. in this economy guys but but i think in general in principle enforcing social welfare for example let's say we can reform things let's say that we we get to a place where we have a welfare state that's adequately functioning like Scandinavian countries. Let's see. I still think that, in principle, enforcing social welfare comes with telling people what to do. Um, And if they can't do that or if they don't do that, we'll use the police on you. So it's still using an oppressive structure to get what you want at the expense of personal liberties. But if the state has, okay, again, but if the state has claim, for example, on land and capital, like what else, Like what we want in so, under socialism, right? We, we want the idea that a lot of the capital will be transferred to the state so that the state can make its own allocations or make it so that the fruits of capital, the fruits of production will be given to the workers instead of the capitalists if that were the case then social justice um, and social welfare is just a legitimation of the same things that we did under capitalism because it's still the state that's enforcing a way of life on people so the reason why capitalism is really dictatorial is because even in democracies the capitalist unilaterally screws over the workers using flimsy justifications like, but we took on the risk when we invested. And it's flimsy because if the business fails, the workers are equally, if not more, at risk. But the problem here is that the state enforces that dictatorship under a socialist system, according to anarchists, not me, because this is a point where we Mm -hmm. diverge, actually. Um, According to some anarchists, even under that socialist system... There will still be a dictatorship that the state will enforce. It's just that um, it's it's a dictatorship of like the the workers, the workers, the proletariats. um, Which people, some people would say, what's so wrong with that? But some anarchists say that the problem with that is you're substituting social welfare for actual social justice, and they think that social justice can only be achieved when you have a lot of these fundamental liberties that you cannot take away at any point. And the only way for people to risk to have their behavior restricted is if they volunteer to do so in order to help the greater community, which, under a system of anarchy, they expect would happen anyway.
0: Mm. A lot of anarchists actually are anti-capitalist, also anti-socialist. They're like there as a third option, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but but also a lot of the thing about anarchy that i i like even if i don't necessarily subscribe to everything is there are so many ways that you can arrive at the same conclusion because what you said is true a lot of anarchists do think that anarchy is an alternative to capitalism and socialism but other anarchists say that actually we are the most um liberal like we are the most right wing A lot of other anarchists say that they're the most left-wing. Like, they say that it's the ultimate form of socialism. If socialism was there to empower individuals to take control of their own destinies, the best way that you can do that is by creating certain conditions in which an anarchist system may thrive under socialism, and then after that, allow people to do anarchy. But other people on the right, they say that, well, democracy and capitalism... In general, is based on fundamental freedoms of individuals. Then anarchy is just, you know, the absence of government power and the the state's inability to enforce any rules. So I can imagine a lot of capitalists would say, "Let's be like anarchists, okay? You all like consented to being my workers, you know?" So mm. so you can you can tell that at this point, it's kind of a slippery idea of what it is.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, in recent years we've seen a lot of it, which is why it's surprising to me that in political spectrums most of the time um, in the bottom left corner of it is always anarchy, like extreme anarchy when in reality you can also see it, as you mentioned, in right-wing. And that's why movies like The Purge is an example of anarchy taken to the extremes because of super huge authoritarian governments that dictate that you should have 24 hours to do whatever you want. So it's like an enforced anarchy on people, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, So anyway, I I think that's a good summation. But there is another principle that I think is worth mentioning because this this episode was my idea because I'm a big fan of V for Vendetta. Anarchy. and And also sorry. Anarchy. But like, more so V for <laughs> Vendetta. Like, but in the movie and also in the comic book. Graphic novels. or Sorry, graphic novel. <laughs> in those pieces of media, you had V, the anarchist, saying that actually, the reason why we have fascism at all is because of the people who allowed fascism to exist. So it's When the movie came out, it was during the Patriot Act era. So he was saying that, actually, you have yourself to blame for voting in George W. Bush. And in the movie, he was saying that the reason why people did it, why they acquiesced to fascism, was because of fear. And in the Philippines, you can see that a lot of people acquiesced to fascism because of the same idea of fear— Like, it's just that where 2001 or early 2000s America was afraid of terrorists, we were afraid of drug addicts or drug abusers. So, a lot of anarchists just focus on, like, you are to blame because fear. But I disagree with that because I don't think it's just fear that makes people bring fascists into power. I think beyond that, even if there wasn't anyone to be afraid of, there still is a tendency to elect fascists. And the reason for that is, I think the root of why people feel powerless is actually because they willingly surrendered their rights to the state. Um, and the state also did all this inequality um, or this inequity because you surrendered your rights to the state. And the reason why you did that Was it because you were afraid of something, but a lot of the time it's because you just genuinely believe, even if it might be a manufactured belief, that there is an inherent value in acquiescing to authority. So there might Mm -hmm. be limits, but in general, people say that there is a value in authority figures. And this is where a lot of anarchists believe is the root of the problem.
0: Okay, I think that was a good summary of what Anarchy is able to provide. Um, In summation, it's something worth knowing about at least. Not just because it's the 5th of November, which is important and you should read up on it by the way, it's very interesting. But also because with all the political changes now and all the debates on politics, it's worth noting that there are just more than two possible systems that exist. And that we should be open to options because even if we don't adapt them, at least we know about them and we can pick up parts we want. And it helps you as well as a person form your own political opinions and beliefs. So I hope that this episode was insightful. I hope that you picked up something from it. It's not our goal to convert you in any way towards anything. So if you become aligned with some of our views, uh, that's not our goal. But we're happy that we managed to give you information that you could have used to formulate your own opinions, okay? Formulating your own opinions is the important phrase here or sentence here. Yeah,
1: Okay. what's interesting all. is, actually, the two of us in real life, we're both pretty, like, pro-state. Like, we're both yeah. reasonable <laughs> socialists. It's just that <laughs> we want we want to be able to give people the options as to, like, what other ways can we imagine society can be organized, mm. so that you can have a more informed opinion as to, like, if you do end up saying, "Well, capitalism is the way to go," I, I'm sad, but I can't tell you that. I can't tell you not to.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but if if you so probably yeah. for, for another episode we'll discuss other forms of governance or lack thereof. Yeah, is
1: there a World and, Capitalist Day?
0: Yeah, World Capitalist Day. Maybe in other holidays, we will figure out what to do. Um, But for now, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, We hope you learned a lot. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye!